reading is from Matthew 5.37, and it's page 969 on your pew Bibles. The Fulfillment of the Law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these three commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sally-Ann. There's a sort of muffled noise, isn't there, <laughs> of children. Um, it's good to hear. Let's just take a moment to, to pray, shall we? God, our Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to understand it. We pray, Father, that um, your spirit will be at work amongst us, bringing your word to bear on our hearts and our lives. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Andrew says, we're looking at the Bible for the next five weeks. It's one of our core core values. You can find our core values in our our vision document. And like prayer that we looked at before Christmas, it's a subject that I think we tend to need to come back to every so often because it's very, very foundational, very foundational um, to everything we do as, as our Christian life. So today is really the start of, a, of that series. And I'm going to be asking, what does Jesus say about the Bible? What does Jesus say about the Bible? And it may raise more questions than um, we can answer today, but that's the point of a mini-series, isn't it? Um, so can I encourage you to come back, to make sure you come to, to all of them? At the end in, in May, there's going to be an open to questions as well, so we can grapple with some of the unanswered questions. Um, but let's get right um, to it. So please keep your Bibles open if you have them in front of you at page 969. We also, there is a, a, an outline. If you find those sorts of things helpful, um, please do use that. There's an outline there for you. Number one, the whole Bible is absolutely true. Verse 18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, the, word, the use of the word law here is really important for us to understand. It doesn't refer here to the Ten Commandments specifically, or the formal or the technical law. Jesus is actually talking about the Scriptures. You notice this is in a capital L. Just as he says in verse 17 as well, it says the law or the prophets. So it's, it's Jesus' shorthand way of talking about the Bible, and specifically um, the Old Testament. So when we realise that here in the Sermon on the Mount... 
we know that Jesus is giving us a theology of the Bible. Okay? Three things in, under this first heading for us to, to note. The first is that the Bible is inspired. It's the inspiration of the Bible. Verse 18 uses the word disappear twice. It means to pass away. Uh, and Jesus says the heaven and earth may pass away, but the scriptures will not. He says something very similar in Luke 16, verse 17. He says, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. And it's extremely important. This is an extremely profound thing to say. If nature can disappear and the scriptures not, it means that scripture is more enduring than nature. If you think about that for a moment, that means that this is not a natural book. Jesus is saying it's not a natural book. It goes, it goes beyond that. It's a supernatural book. It's an inspired book, not the product of humans. The Bible is not just a book. Not according to Jesus here. It transcends heaven and earth. That's what he's saying. Yes, written by humans, but inspired by God. Inspired by him. Divine. So that's the first little thing. The second thing under this heading is that not only that does he say that, but he says the whole thing is inspired. Where do you get that? Eddie, verse 18, again, it says, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. If you're of a certain vintage, you'll remember in the King James Bible, it says, not a jot or tittle, I think it says. It's a good word, isn't it? Tittle. A jot or tittle. So it's not only divinely inspired, but every letter, every part of every letter is divinely inspired. Now, of course, this is where, where we sometimes ha- get squeaky bottoms, isn't it, about, to use that phrase, that, that people will say, well, I believe the Bible is broadly true, it has the right kind of concepts and ideas, but I can't believe every bit. Surely some of it's outdated. And Jesus, Jesus is saying it's all inspired, every bit of it. So which bits, we have to ask ourselves, which bits are we saying we can disregard? Are we really going to disregard what Jesus says is from God? Because that's quite a big thing to to do, isn't it? That leads us thirdly under this heading to its authority. It is authoritative. Notice in verse 18 that Jesus says that not only is the Bible true, it's from God, but it's to be accomplished. Very important. It's to be accomplished. Heaven and earth won't disappear until it is accomplished. In other words, the scriptures are to be done. Not just believed, not just nodded at, not just assented to, not just sort of paraded or applauded, but to be done, to be accomplished. Jesus doesn't say that, just say that the Bible is true. I mean, lots of books could be true, like the telephone book could be true, couldn't it? But Jesus says it has to be accomplished. Nothing, nothing in this book that we read will not be accomplished. Every prophecy will come true. Every promise will be fulfilled. 
That means every warning and every threat will also come true. Every single command here will someday be obeyed. You know, it's that Philippians 2 thing, isn't it? Every knee will bow, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's going to come true. This is not just true factually. It has to be accomplished. It has to be done. Every jot and tittle. Jesus believes in the divine, supernatural, authoritative Bible. Every single bit will be accomplished and be done. Now, I know that that's hard. That's a really hard thing. In our society, in our culture, someone might say, okay, Eddie, the Bible is inspired by God, but surely humans wrote it and they put it together. What if they made a mistake? How do we know that they got it right? You've heard of the canon, haven't you? You've heard of the canon? I don't mean the big canon that goes bang, bang. But I'm talking about the the canon of the books of the Bible. It's true, isn't it? There was a process. The, the, um, The believing community, the historical believing community came together and they decided what books... Um, came uh, were to be included, what were divinely inspired and which weren't. They, that's what they did. Jesus knows that here about the Old Testament, doesn't he? And he's, Jesus doesn't just simply believe that God could give us a perfect authoritative truth through the process of human author, authorship, but also that God was in control of that whole process. Jesus doesn't seem to have a problem with that. We seem to have a problem with that, but Jesus doesn't. Humans wrote it. Humans put it together under the inspiration of God. And Jesus has no problem with that. So if Jesus doesn't have a problem with that, should we have a problem with that? What did it mean for Jesus in practice? Put it, that's because it sounds quite starchy like that. What did it mean for Jesus? Well, it means that his whole life was based, was lived on the Bible. You see it time after time. When he was tempted by Satan, what does he do? He says, it is written. He quotes the scriptures. Uh, when the Pharisees attack him, what does he say to them? He says, it is written. He quotes back to the scriptures. When Peter, one of his own disciples, takes the sword and lobs off the ear of the guard, what does he say to Peter? He says, no, Peter... Because the scriptures must be fulfilled. At every turn, Jesus' entire life was based on the scriptures. And of course, his entire death was also based on the scriptures, culminating in that most famous of quotes from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Take a look at the the passion narrative. See how many scriptures are there that Jesus is saying from the cross. You see, we have to be careful we will say well i follow jesus but i have a real problem with this bit of the bible and you can see the problem with that can't you because when we say that we're actually having a problem with jesus because of what he believed about the bible that's very important furthermore how will jesus ever contradict us How will he ever do that? How will Jesus ever lead us? How can we be sure that we even have the real Jesus and not just the Jesus that we've made up in our own minds? Jesus has to be able to surely be able to contradict us and the way that we live. And the way that he primarily does that 
is through his words. It's what Jesus did. It's the way that Jesus lived, and it's the way his followers should live. When we say, I don't believe that part of the Bible, what we're really saying is that there are some things in my life, there are some beliefs and values, some convictions that I hold that I will not let Jesus get at. How could Jesus, how could Jesus get to you except through the Bible? It's impossible to say I follow Christ, but I don't accept the view, his view of the Bible. When you come to the Bible, you, are you sifting the Bible or is the Bible sifting you? That's another way of putting it, isn't it? Are you searching it or is it searching you? We can, we must, we cannot, we must not put ourselves over the Bible. We have to let the Bible come over us. It's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? That's why we're doing this series. Verse 18 tells us the Bible is true. It tells us every bit of it is true, that it is authoritative and it has to be accomplished. Now the problem is if you stop there, if, if that's all we hear today... That will make you a Pharisee. That will make you a Pharisee. The Pharisees believed in verse 18. Every much as bit as Jesus did. But they did not have the same view of how to interpret the scriptures as Jesus did. And that's why you need verse 17. So point two on our outline. Point two, the Bible is about Jesus. And it's not about us, it's about Jesus. And that's what the Pharisees, where the Pharisees went wrong. Look at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The Pharisees definitely did not agree with this verse. Jesus is talking about the Old Testament here, and he's saying everything in it is about me. And you're not going to understand it unless you read it through me, through that kind of lens of Jesus. So when we pick up the scriptures, we have to read it through the lens of Jesus. If you don't read it like that, you'll become a Pharisee. Um, we will look at the Old Testament and see it kind of like an, an, a manual to a how to, to live, a kind of moral code or something. When we come to the, the Old Testament, we... We know that Jesus has fulfilled much of it so that we no longer applies to us. For example, the cleanliness laws in Leviticus, we know that many of those do not apply to us anymore because Jesus is our cleanliness. He's the one who's made us clean. We we know that many of the animal sacrifices, the animal sacrificial system is no longer needed because Jesus is our final sacrifice. So we don't follow it in that way. So we need to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, which means much of it will no longer apply directly, but this is really important. There is a big but. That does not mean that the Old Testament can just be sidelined or forgotten about or abandoned. It counts. Jesus is saying it counts here. Jesus is saying, I have fulfilled it, but you equally can't understand me unless you know about the Old Testament. The Old Testament will tell you who Jesus is and why he came. You're not going to be able to grasp him unless you know something about the kings, about the prophets, about the priests, unless you know about the tabernacles, about the temples, about the sacrifices. 
Everything in the Bible is about Jesus. Everything. And it's not about us. The point of every story, the point of every regulation, the point of every ceremony, the point of every prophet, the point of every priest, the point of every king, is to point us forward to Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate prophet, priest, king, the sacrifice, the way to God. Everything. Let me try and give you an example to try and give it life. Let David and Goliath, story in the Old Testament. You can read that like a Pharisee, can't you? You can come to that story and say, um, David is brave, David is, is afraid, um, but he stands before a, a giant and you say to yourself, I need to be like David. I need to be, I need to be like David. You read it as if it's about you. If I am brave, without fear of God, perhaps God will accept me and bless me. That's the way I need to live. You can read it like that, about you. That's the way the Pharisees would read it. Because if you do that, it'll leave you cold. It will leave you feeling either superior, because you're brave and, and, and like David, or it will leave you crushed by the weight of the fact that you're not David. If you approach the Bible through the lens of Christ, you will read it like this. You'll say, David is pointing to a greater David than David. A greater David. A greater king who will sit on the throne forever and ever, who went up before the real giant, who is the only giant who can ever kill you forever and ever, the giant of sin and death. He didn't just risk his life, but it cost him his life. He is our representative, just like the historical King David, and he's given us victory. Isn't that a, that's the way to read it? Only when I see the greater David has slain the real giant, only when I see he, he has slain the only disease that can really kill me, the only giant that can kill me, my sin. Only when I see that, that he's done it for me, that all my fears of loss, fears of failure, will disappear. Only when I see the greater David, to which David points, will I ever begin to live like David. In other words, when you read the Bible, we tend to read it as if it's about us and about what I've got to do. There is always three points that we do, the mistake we make, three points to our... I shouldn't say that because there's three points to this sermon, should I? But there's always three points that we make, um, which is, this is what they did, this is what I should do, this is what I should become. That is not how to do it. When you read it, when you read it about Jesus, you actually have four points. You read it, you say, this is what they did. I will never, ever do it. There is one who did it perfectly, and he's to come, and that was Jesus Christ. And the reason you can't live like David or Samson or Esther or Abraham or whatever is because you haven't really based your life completely on what he, that king who was to come, has done for you, the one Jesus Christ.
So the Bible is all about Jesus. I kind of laboured that because that's absolutely foundationally important. The Bible is all about Jesus. It's not just the New Testament. It's not just the Gospels. It's not just the words that Jesus speaks in the Gospels. It's about the whole Bible. Is about Jesus. And thirdly, that leaves us with the whole Bible is able to change you forever. And to be honest, we haven't really got much time because we've got communion. I'll try and say something very briefly. Verses 19 and 20. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called greater in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What does this mean? Eddie, you've just said, you've just told us that we need to read the Bible to not read the Bible like Pharisees. But now you're telling us here that our righteousness has got to surpass that of the Pharisees. What's going on? Well, we, need to, we would really need to, to spend a whole time going through the, the rest of the Sermon on the Mountain, particularly chapter 5. But I'll say this. Well, if, if you have the kingdom in you, if you have the kingdom of God in you, if you have Jesus' life in you, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and as, as your Saviour, if you've received him as king, as prophet and priest and all those things... It will take you into a realm that surpasses just mere religiosity. It takes you into a a whole different realm that will surpass all that. Not negating it, but surpassing it. It will take you way beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees. You think that religious people, Pharisees, read the Bible as if it's about them about doing these rules, creating these lists, to get in. But Christians read the Bible about Jesus. That's what we've just said. They read the rules and realize that it's Jesus that's got them in. It's only Jesus that can get them in. He fulfilled the law, and now they obey it out of love. And a heart of love. The love of Jesus, that Jesus Christ should die for us, to get us in. That then drives us and and compels us to love him back with all our heart, mind, soul and strength, to be changed from the inside out, rather from the outside in. That that is the thing that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Do you see that? Do we see that this morning? Then the pursuit of righteousness, which is a good thing, becomes about a love response, a heart response to what Jesus Christ has done for each of us this morning. We respond to the love of God that he has for us in Christ Jesus. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's reading it through Jesus. And it is always about him. And the time has gone. But let me just say as we end... Let me ask you all a question. How will this change the way we read the Bible? How is it going to change the way that you read the Bible um, today? 
Will we come to the scriptures in a formal way, seeking to make it come under our authority? For us to decide whether it's true or not? Are you going to ask God to let it search you this morning? To show us just how much we need Christ, to show us just how much Christ has done for each of us this morning. Knowing him that we absolutely owe him everything. We owe him our lives, our hearts, our desires, our obedience. Simply, are you going to say, Lord, I love you for what you have done for me. Please come, transform me by your inspired word. Are you going to read the Bible like that? Should we take a moment to pray? Oh God, our Father, we know that so often we come to the scriptures thinking it's about us to give us a a pep talk about how we can live and what we can do. Father, we thank you for your inspired word that is absolutely true and it is it's absolutely about your son, Jesus Christ, and what he came to do. And we pray that we'll read it through that lens. We thank you for what Jesus says about the Bible. We pray that we'll come under its authority, that as we see that it's all about Jesus, we'll be transformed by your living and active word, that our righteousness, our desire for righteousness will surpass that of the Pharisees so that we might live it out. Father, we pray that you would do this in us by your word and through the power of your spirit. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.